You're listening to the New Gen Sermon Podcast. This is the fourth message that I'm preaching on covenant. Uh, We're in Hebrews chapter 8, and uh, we're busy looking at the topic of covenants specifically. And we're having a look at five major covenants in the Bible. So that's the covenant God made with Noah, with Abraham, with Moses, David, and the new covenant. And so we're going to have a look at these different covenants. And the reason is, is because Hebrews 8 verse 6 says, But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. So the first thing we can see there is just that it's a better covenant than others. And that means there is more than one covenant. And we're going to see that in the Bible, God makes many covenants. has made many covenants, but we're going to look at five key ones. And uh, I don't know if, you've, uh, if you're like me or not, but I've often thought that uh, Moses had a particularly incredible life. And it must have been amazing for him to see those miracles that God did, parting the Red Sea, manna provided every morning, water from the rock, all the plagues in Egypt, the burning bush, and uh, just the way he related to God. He went into the tabernacle, and they had the Ark of the Covenant there, and on top of the Ark were these uh, carved uh, angels covered in gold called cherubim. And that space underneath where those angels' wings touched is called the mercy seat. And it says in the Scriptures that the voice of God spoke audibly to Moses from that mercy seat. And I've often thought that uh, it must have been incredible for guys like Moses to have a relationship with God like that, hearing God in that way. But the Scriptures say our relationship that we have with God is far superior to what they had in the Old Testament. Now, I don't know if you believe that or not. Just have a think about it. Think about your relationship with God and ask yourself this question. Is it far superior to Moses? Be honest. <laughs> let, let that just sink in a bit. This morning we're going to have a look at the Mosaic Covenant. And I realize that... Um, This type of message is more of a teaching, and your preferred style of uh, messages might be more dynamic and more of a preach, more of something that's going to inspire you for the week to go and serve God, and you might be thinking, man, teaching is not really my cup of tea. But Scripture says this in 2 Timothy 3.16, 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, all Scripture is inspired by God. So this entire book is inspired by God, and it is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. So a healthy diet of Christian teaching should, or preaching, should include teaching. It shouldn't just be an inspirational message every single week. That's just one piece of the pie. It should also include messages that rebuke and correct, and we don't like that. But if we are healthy in our diet, we should receive the Word of God in all its various forms, not just in one particular form. And, uh, and so one of the things that 
we are, uh, I suppose, committed to as a leadership is to preach God's word whether we step on toes or not. We are about pleasing God, not about pleasing people. And so we need our, a healthy diet of God's word just like we need a healthy diet. We need our vegetables. So maybe, maybe teaching for you is like eating vegetables. But you need your greens, amen? Or maybe teaching to you is like having dessert. I don't know. Everyone's different. But uh, we're going to have a look at this covenant that God made with Moses. And it's probably the most misunderstood and badly applied covenant in the Bible by Christians. Many Christians still live under the Mosaic covenant. And they shouldn't because... They, the reason they do it is because they don't know why the covenant was made and they don't know who the covenant was made with. And uh, so we're going to have a look at that today. So far we've looked at two of the covenants. We've looked at Noah and we've looked at Abraham. And the first covenant with Noah was an international covenant. The second covenant with Abraham was a national covenant that had international effect. And this third covenant with Moses is a national-only covenant. That's important. It's only made with the nation of Israel. No one else. Okay? God made this covenant with the people that he rescued out of Egypt. That's also important. It wasn't like he made a covenant and said, if you do this, I'll rescue you. He rescued them first, and then he made a covenant with them. So it is a covenant of grace. A lot of people think, well, God is gracious in the New Testament and, and legalistic in the Old Testament. Or he's, he's Mr. Nasca in the New Testament, and he's a harsh God in the Old Testament. God never changes. He, he showed grace on day one or on whenever Adam and Eve sinned, whatever day that was. And he, he sacrificed two animals to cover them. That's an act of grace. They're all throughout the Old Testament, you see the grace of God. He, he delivers Israel out of Egypt, and then he makes a covenant with them. That's the grace of God. What had they done to deserve being delivered and to be set free? So anyway, in Exodus chapter 24... We can read the account of the nation of Israel accepting this covenant. It's too long for me to read God making this covenant. I mean, I'd have to read chapters and chapters and chapters of the Bible. You can read it for yourself. If you read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, you'll get the whole thing. Deuteronomy is just the second time God made the covenant with them. Because by then, all of them had been wiped out except two people. Joshua and Caleb, even Moses wasn't around. And so God had to repeat the covenant to this new generation because they had no idea just before they went into the land. So you can read that for yourself in your own time. But let's just have a look. Genesis chapter 24 and verse 3 to 11. I'm just reading this because it's pretty amazing. Exodus 24, verse 3. Alrighty. Moses. Then Moses went down to the people, and he repeated all the instructions and regulations the Lord had given him. So I imagine that was a long sermon. 
All the people answered in one voice, how's this? We will do everything the Lord has commanded. Then Moses carefully wrote down all the Lord's instructions. Early the next morning, Moses got up and built an altar at the foot of the mountain. He also set up 12 pillars, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent some of the young Israelite men to present burnt offerings and to sacrifice bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. Moses drained half the blood from these animals into the basins. The other half he splattered against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant, which was everything he wrote down, and read it aloud to the people. Another long message, I imagine. Again they responded, we will do everything the Lord has commanded and we will obey. How wrong did they get that? Then Moses took the blood from the basins uh, and splattered it over the people, declaring, look, this blood confirms the covenant the Lord has made with you in giving you these instructions. Then Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel climbed up the mountain. There they saw the God of Israel. How amazing. Under his feet, there seemed to be a surface of brilliant blue Lapis lazuli, I don't know what that is, but sounds awesome. As clear as the sky itself. And though these nobles of Israel gazed upon God, he did not destroy them. In fact, they ate a covenant meal, eating and drinking in his presence. Wow, that's pretty awesome. eh? And they saw God and they said, we're going to do everything you've told us to do. And it was a covenant that God made with this nation uh, of security, even of physical health. God promised to uh, protect their health. God promised that they would possess the promised land if they obeyed uh, his laws, and he promised them good health. Okay. The, this, this is important. The Abrahamic covenant made them owners of the land. The Mosaic covenant enabled them to possess the land. It's two different things. You can own a house and never live in it. You could have a problem with vandals or squatters. They live in your house, and no matter what you try and do, you can never get in, which is the case in some countries, apparently. You can, you can legally own a property and never possess it. And so the two different covenants are for two different reasons. Even today... Israel own the land, all of it, all of the boundary, but they only possess about a third. Okay? There's two different things going on here. If they were obedient, God promised that he would bless them. And if they were disobedient, God would curse them. A lot of people think that curses don't come from God. Well, they, they can come from other sources, but also God curses. And you can read about that in Deuteronomy 28. It lists the curses that God would put on them for disobeying this covenant. Now remember that this covenant does not apply to Christians. He made it with the nation of Israel. Even even Jewish Christians, it doesn't apply to them because they now have entered into a covenant that supersedes this old covenant. The old covenant has become obsolete. Hebrews 8 Verse 13 says, when God speaks of a new covenant, 
It means he has made the first one obsolete. It's like you own the latest iPhone 28 or whatever it is, but you still got a Nokia 3310. Why would you go back to something that is obsolete and use that when you have a much better and much newer, much uh, superior model? That's exactly what's happened. Why would they go back to an, an inferior covenant when they have a superior one that they can have relationship with God through? Okay? So this Mosaic covenant has become obsolete to those in the new covenant. It's not obsolete to everyone. It's obsolete to those in the new covenant. The reason God gave this Mosaic covenant really was to bring Israel to Christ. He gave it to show them that they had a sin problem. The whole point of this old covenant was to highlight sin. It wasn't to make people righteous. It was to say, you've got a major problem. This is the standard, and you keep falling short. And it is 100% standard. <laughs> the Lord gave Israel this law to highlight their sin problem. And we can see that in Galatians chapter 3, verse 23 to 24. Galatians 3, 23 to 24. And this is something that the Galatian church was struggling with. They're Christians, but they are struggling with being under the, are they under the law or are they not under the law? Are they in the new covenant or the old covenant? And people were trying to put them back under the old covenant. Galatians 3 verse 23 said, Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under God by the law. That's the, the Israelite nation placed under God by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian in a... In, in other translations, it says the law was our schoolmaster. Basically, kept Israel from spiraling out of control with sin. It guarded them until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. So, God gives this law to Israel, which is a set of rules to live by. And he was basically saying, if you live by these rules, you will live right in my eyes. You will be righteous in my eyes. God shows them how to live in a sinless way, in a way that's loving to people. You, you look, and these laws covered every single area of life. In fact, it even covered the way that they should build their houses. They had flat roofs, and the Lord told them, you've got to put a kind of a balcony or a railing around the edge, so that you, if your kid runs up there, they're not going to fall off the roof. Every single area of their life was governed by these laws. And it, and it was showing them how they can live in a way that is right in the eyes of God. And there's nothing wrong with that. And it also enabled God to live in the midst of their camp and not have to destroy them. <laughs> okay? There's nothing wrong with that, and there's nothing wrong with the law. But, well, 
Let me say this. There are some Christians who think that the law is bad. The law is not bad. Okay? The problem isn't the law. The problem is sin in us, in Israel. That's the problem. And because of sin, when, when they were, say, when they were said, uh, told by God, you're not allowed to do that, what do you think they wanted to do? <laughs> that very thing. Why? Because of sin. It's, it's in all of us, and it affects us in exactly the same way. If you tell a kid, you're, you know, you're, allowed, you're allowed to look in any one of my pockets, except this one. This is the only one they're going to want to look in. They're not interested in what's there, whatever's in the other. God tells Adam and Eve, you can eat from any tree except one. That's the one they want to eat from. That's, that's the problem. Actually, that's a bad example because they hadn't sinned yet. But, any, but you get the point, okay? <laughs> that's what happens when you just start getting random ideas while, while you preach. Okay. And, and here's the thing. I brought a little prop. This is what God says about the law to Israel. This is our finest china. Well, not china. Crystal. Crystal. <laughs> it's not really. But anyway, if I take this vase, which is almost, I think it's got no scratches. It might have one or two. But let's just say it was absolutely perfect. And I took a little hammer, and I just gave it a tap here, and I chipped off a piece. It's broken. It's chipped. Okay? If I really gave it a good crack, I would smash the whole thing. Now, once it's smashed, it's smashed. I can try and glue this whole thing back together or tape it back together, but it will never, ever be back in its original condition again. Now, the Bible says in the book of James, if you break one law, you've broken the whole thing. If you chip this thing here, it's ruined. It's no longer perfect. That's exactly how the law worked for Israel. If they broke just one law, they bust the entire thing. And the reason is, is because the pass mark is 100%. <laughs> we, we don't know this kind of thing. Because in school, a pass mark is 50%. So we come to the law, even though it doesn't apply to us as Christians, and we think, as long as I'm obeying most of the stuff, you know, I'm okay. I'm passing. Even though I'm not under the law, Christians who think they're under the law, who are trying to live up to the law, they're thinking 50% is the pass mark. God said the pass mark is 100%. You break one, you've broken the whole lot. And I am almost guaranteed every single person here is currently breaking the law. Because one of the laws said you are not allowed to wear clothing of mixed fabrics. You cannot have cotton and polyester or wool and something else. If you're going to wear wool, your whole garment needs to wear. Maybe there's a baby here in woolen booties and whatever else they wear. But that's the thing. That's, you break. So if you are wearing different fabrics today, You've got no chance. You might as well give up now of trying to live under the Mosaic law because you're currently breaking it. And because you've broken one, you brust the whole thing. Amen? So don't even try. (laughs) 
Under the law, men aren't allowed to shave their beard. Only Trevor's okay. <laughs> and Joe. <laughs> You're also not allowed to shave the hair on your temples. That's why you'll see Jews with long, curly hair coming down from their temples. You have to observe the Sabbath, which means yesterday, if you traveled more than 1.2 Ks, you broke the law, the Mosaic law. 1.2 Ks is not that far. I don't know. If you just stayed at home yesterday, you're okay. How are you doing? Still okay yet, or have you smashed? The vase, or is it vase? I was thinking about that. Vase. Is it vase or base? B A S E. <laughs> anyway, just thought I'd throw that out. English, eh? Crazy language. You have to pray twice a day under the law, and you have to study the Old Testament. All men have to be circumcised. If you like your coffee, you better like black coffee because putting milk in it is not kosher. And if you really want to get technical, you can try and get around it, but, but most times your milk has got the wrong additives in it. If you're married, I hope you married a Jew because you're not allowed to marry a Gentile. <laughs> And our dog, Scrappy, would probably be kicked out of Israel because under the law you're not allowed to crossbreed animals. And he is three different breeds. <laughs> Poor old Scrappy. But anyway. So we've all broken the law. Let's just settle that and let's all accept that fact and let's go, okay, I need to stop trying to live under this law because I am breaking it. I've got no chance of keeping that vase intact without a crack on it. James 2.10 says, For the person who keeps all of the law, except one, is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. <laughs> now, when Israel started off, they were very confident, weren't they? They said, we're going to obey everything. After Moses preached one of his longest sermons, they said, we're going to obey the lot. And it wasn't long before they started breaking one law after the other after the other. And in fact, there are 613 laws. You probably know the 10 major ones. But there are another 603 bar laws, which cover all sorts of different things. And so what's happened is, because over the years, Israel failed and failed and failed. They had this bunch of laws they created a secondary barrier of additional laws to try and, before I break this law, there's a second law or there's another law in place, so I need to watch out because if I cross this line, I'm going to break one of God's important laws. And so you're not allowed to work on the Sabbath. And then say, so, okay, what's work? work? Work can involve moving dirt, you know, that's like with a spade. So then I create a secondary law. I'm not even allowed to spit into the dirt because I'm moving ground when it hits. That's a law, but it's an added law now. You see what happens is that, and if you've been in a relationship 
before you were married and you're dating something, someone, something. <laughs> oh, my word. <laughs> oh, man. You're dating someone and maybe you feel like you crossed a boundary. What do you do? You create a, a buffer boundary. You're like, you make a rule and go, okay, we're not going to do that, so we're not going to do this, so we don't even go near that. That's how people try and solve this problem. They just add more and more and more and more laws. And all it ends up doing is getting us in a mess. But that's the point. That's why God gave this law to Israel, to show them you have a major problem. And it's on the inside of you, and you need a savior. You need help. You need me to come in and take that heart of stone that you have and rebirth it and give you a heart of flesh. And so God chooses this nation. He rescues them from slavery, and he enters into a covenant with them, saying that if you obey this law, you're going to be blessed. I'm going to live in the midst of you. You're going to possess this incredible land that uh, I've given you. And God's going to be in the midst. And I mean, it is an amazing land. It really is. The land of Israel is like a mini version of the world. It's very diverse in its terrain. It's got mountains. It's got beaches, snow, farmlands, different trees, a variety of animals. In fact, at one stage, there were lions and bears in Israel. David fought them. Where do you think he fought them? You think he went to some other country to fight the lion or bear on a holiday? He fought them in Israel. We don't think like that. But they had a diversity of everything. <laughs> There's this valley called the Jezreel Valley. In fact, George, if you can put the picture up there, it's, a, it's an incredible valley near the middle of Israel. And... Uh, so this is actually, uh, this is the only view that I could find that looked like this. It was a video that I took a screenshot of, guy flying a drone from, this is Mount Tabor. You might have heard of Mount Tabor. And there in the valley is the Jezreel Valley. And it's, you can see all the farming and all the fertile lands. And basically the, the Jezreel Valley is this big valley, kind of in the middle of Israel, surrounded by mountainsides, but it's a crossroads for the world. The two main ancient highways went through this place, this valley. And so you've got, the, you've got this little nation with the whole world traveling through it. And, and God has chosen this nation and said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live in the midst of you. This is how I want you to live. This is the covenant. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to do all these things in the hope that the whole world is watching and going, wow, look at these guys. Look at how blessed they are. Look at God in the midst of them. I want to know their God. I want to ditch my God, my hundred gods that I worship. And I want to get to know this God of Israel. That's the point. That's why God makes this covenant. And there's this this. All the world traveling through here, in fact, just an interesting little side fact. In this valley, there's a tiny, tiny place called Megiddo. It's a little nothing town. It's in the valley. And uh, 
There's a term in the book of Revelation, Armageddon. It's, an, it's a Hebrew term, Ha-Megiddo. Ha-Megiddo means the mountains that loom around Megiddo, okay, in the area. This is where the very final battle of all battles is actually going to take place. Amazing, eh? In this valley where the crossroads of the world is. And what's also interesting, um, I'm not sure where in this picture it is, but in the foothills is this tiny little town, a little nothing town called Nazareth. And that's where Jesus grew up. And he could have very easily in his youth have come out to one of these hillsides and lain on the hill and just watched the nations of the world passing before him in this valley. Incredible, eh? That's where Jesus grew up, in this very fertile valley called Jezreel, the Jezreel Valley. Anyway, that's a total sidetrack. <laughs> now, I mentioned earlier that because of the Abrahamic covenant, they're the owners of the land, but the Mosaic covenant was conditional. If you obey, you will possess the land. If you don't obey, you're going to lose it. And you'll read about that in the Old Testament. You'll read about how Israel sin just spiraled out of control more and more and more. They adopted all the gods of the nations around them until they were actually, they, they, they brought these idols into the temple even and were sacrificing to false gods. And when that started happening, God sent the Assyrians to the north the Babylonians to the south, took them out of the land. The northern tribes were scattered, and the two in the bottom, uh, Judah and, and Benjamin, they were uh, taken into exile. And they lived in captivity for, I think, 74 years or some, or 70 years, something like that. And then God brought them back in. And you can read about that in Nehemiah, Ezra, Esther, those books where they rebuild Jerusalem that's been smashed. And so you see this covenant playing out with Israel as they go on. Now, for Christians, this covenant does not apply to us, but it's not pointless. So many Christians take their Bible, and if you look at their Bible, it's, it's brand new in the Old Testament. When you open the pages, it's like they crack because they've never been opened, and the, and the New Testament is all worn out. That's the whole Bible is relevant to us. It's not pointless, this covenant, even though it was made with Israel. It's, we're, we're to look at them and to go, if they are God's chosen people and they struggled with sin and they had God living in the midst, they had the temple there, they had the cloud of, you know, of God's presence right there, you know, all this stuff. If they struggled with sin, how much more me? How much more do I need a Savior? That's the point. We're supposed to look at that and, and see, actually, it's not just highlighting their sin. Ah, my sin is being highlighted. Man, if they need a Savior, I also need a Savior. And also we see, we see that God is a forgiving God. We see that there's a principle of a substitutionary sacrifice. So although they're struggling in sin, God allows them to bring an animal and to sacrifice an animal, and God says that sacrifice cov covers, covers over your sin temporarily. And so there's this concept of a sacrifice 
of, of a substitution taking place. So when Jesus comes, we're to go, oh, he's the final sacrifice. He is the substitute that I really need. No longer animals, but Jesus. We see that Jesus also is the Messiah. He's come through. That's why Jesus had to be Jewish. He couldn't come. He couldn't have been an Aussie. Because he had to be from this Abrahamic covenant. Through, through your descendants, all nations are going to be blessed. It's not through uh, some lineage of a guy in, in another country. It's Jesus had to come from the nation of Israel. And we see this. We might start looking at our life and thinking we're okay. But the law, and even more than that, the Bible shines a light on our lives. And we, when we read it, we go, oh, I'm, I'm struggling in this area. But it, it should cause us to go, I, I can't, rules are not going to help me. So many Christians look, Look at something and go, oh, I've got a problem in this area. I need a rule. I need to stop doing this somehow. I need to make a rule to prevent me from doing it. That's the point. This is the lesson we should have learned from the Old Testament, from the Old Covenant. Rules will never help. It's not a change from the outside in that we need. We need a change from the inside out. That's what we really need in our life. The law couldn't help Israel. The Lord just pointed a finger at them, saying, you got a problem. You, you bust this thing. You've broken this vase. You've cracked it again and again and again. And so it operated like a guardian to them. If there was no law, Israel could well have spiraled into such sin that God, I don't know what he would have done. I know he promised with Noah not to destroy them, not to destroy the earth, but my goodness, when you look at what happened to some nations because of rampant sin, God protected them and held them in place until Jesus uh, came at the right time. In giving the law, God kept them in check. How long would this Mosaic covenant last? Well, until Jesus. Now, it's, it's still an operation to those who don't know Jesus, but... For those who have come into the new covenant, it becomes obsolete. Jesus has perfectly fulfilled the law. Jesus said, I haven't come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill it. And so for the first time ever, a human being lived his life and his vase never broke. Not once. Not even a little chip. He fulfilled the law exactly. Never broke a single one. And he lived a sinless life. He was tempted in every way. And you can imagine the devil would have made sure that no stone was left unturned. And yet he came out absolutely sinless, totally victorious. Now, we're not going to get into that now. I'm rushing ahead of myself. But now we've got, hey, whoa, the possibility of a substitution happening, an exchange for the first time ever, someone's offering the cup that's never been bust. No one else could ever do that. That sounds awesome, eh? But that's coming up in the two weeks' time, I suppose, <laughs> in, the, in the new covenant. Let me close in prayer. 
Father, I thank you for your word, and I particularly want to lift up uh, all of us here this morning. Lord, we, we have a tendency to wander in life and wander from one side of the road to the other under legalism, and then we go, oh no, I'm wrong, I need to come back into freedom that Christ has got me, and then we go to that side, and then, then we put ourselves back under the law again, and then we come out of that, and we, we zigzag down the road, and Lord, your will is for us to walk in freedom and for us to live in the fullness of this superior covenant, the new covenant that you've made with us. Help us, Lord, not to put ourselves back under the law. Help us, Lord, not to, to try and solve problems in our life with sin, but let us come to you and let us throw ourselves down before you and say, Lord Jesus, Help me. You're the only one that can really empower me to live in freedom. You're the only one whose blood can wash away my sins as white as snow. Lord, I pray this morning there'd be a freedom that comes. I pray for anyone that is struggling with legalism this morning. Lord, just set them free right now in Jesus' name. Break off the lies of the enemy. That said, oh, you're a terrible Christian. You didn't do this. You didn't do that. You didn't do the next thing. Lord, our sins are forgiven. As white as snow. Lord, I pray for that revelation this morning. I, I pray for freedom right now. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen.